Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and I'm very pleased today to welcome back to the table Tim Cockrell. Tim's recent sermon from Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 46 will be the focus of our conversation here in the coming minutes. And Tim, thanks for being here with us again. I'm happy to. You know, one of the challenges of teaching through such large sections of Scripture is you can never say all that you want to say in a sermon's length. So this is a great time to unpack it a little further. You get a lot in there. I've noticed you get a lot in there. And Tim, that, that brings up a point. You talk about teaching through a passage. I was thinking about this and really wasn't planning on mentioning this, but your comment prompted me. Uh, expositional preaching. Yes. Why do we work through the Bible like we do. Many churches, they go of different topic. It might not even be related to the topic that the pastor preached on or the preacher preached on last week. Why do we do what we do? Because so much of understanding a passage is understanding it in its context. And so I think the elders have done a great job as we've taught through the book of Matthew to look at how Matthew is developing our understanding of Jesus, what he's indicating about Jesus's identity and and how the kingdom is coming. And if we just kind of drop in on one passage, it's very, very difficult to be able to understand all that's going on in the context, how to understand that properly. The other thing about it is it keeps us from kind of riding our hobby horses. You know, there are times... <laughs> Do you have those? There are. We all do. But, you know, there are times where, like even my first couple sermons, I got to preach on church discipline and divorce (laughs) that are such important topics, but that if we were laying out a topical series, those probably wouldn't be at the top of our list. And so I think it, it gives us a steady, balanced diet of what Scripture teaches us in its context so that we can rightly understand it. And don't you think that speaks, too, to the need for the Christian, the person in the pew or the person behind the pulpit to be regularly reading through the scripture and getting a steady diet of not just you know, the uh, the uh, streams in the desert or not just the uh, uh, whatever thing you use to during a quiet time, but just reading through the scripture and getting the flow of what God is going on and got what God is doing in people's lives. Absolutely. And I think one of the helpful tools that Grace makes available is like the Matthew reading plan that allows people to be reading along with the passages that we're going to be studying. And then even the following week, rereading the passage that we just heard about, because we all have short memories, you know, and so to reinforce and to drive those truths deep is really valuable. And by the way, lest anybody think I have anything against streams in the desert or uh, daily bread or or daily bread, that type of thing. No, those are great. But boy, it's great to have a good comprehensive of understanding of where the scripture is going. Well, well, Tim, once again, we're continuing to move through Matthew's account. It's Jesus's life. He's just taken us from birth or even pre-birth on down through his death and going to be into his resurrection. We're in the final teaching section of the book. And and we often hear the maxim that, that a man's words, when he knows that his days are numbered, are often some of the most important words he'll ever say. Mm-hmm. We look to 2 Timothy, for example, for Paul. Right. We say, okay, these are the last words that at least we have written of Paul's life. And these are really key to what he's thinking. I don't think I'm going out on a limb here when I say that we're at that point in Jesus's life when we read this part of Matthew. Absolutely. And I think as Jesus has has moved toward Jerusalem, that intensification of the opposition has happened. 
What he's doing in this chapter and even in the next several chapters that we'll see is he's exposing what went wrong with Israel's leadership, where they had misunderstood what it meant to have a relationship with God or what it meant to lead his people. And I think this was instructive for the disciples because they are seeing, here's an example of what not to do, but even as we'll talk about, he's also teaching them, but here's what that's to look like for you. You know, you've heard it said this, but I say to you, the world leads in this way, but here's how I want you to lead. And so I think a lot of what he's doing here is preparing his disciples to be those who lead in the kingdom when it comes. Right. John Tarwater and I talked about that last week. It's just so key. He's instituting new leadership, essentially. Well, you kicked off your sermon with uh, what I'll call a vibrant illustration of that uh, proverbial chicken with its head cut off. Now, I've got to tell you, it reminds me when Grandma came to our house when I was a boy. You knew chickens would die. I remember the stump where she, where the axe fell, and, and everything. But mom, mom had that brood of chickens. It was just a great way to grow up. But you point out that just like chickens flopping around after they're clinically dead, I mean they've lost their head after all. We too often are active, even in what appear to be spiritually minded pursuits, but we may not have the spiritual vitality powering that activity. I hope I'm not being too forward here, but be a little transparent. Help us to understand how this kind of thing shows itself in your life. Sure. Well, you know, I think we all want to appear better than we actually are. You know, we want to put our best foot forward when we when we show up on Sunday morning and somebody asks us how we're doing. We're going to say good, even if we just had a fight with our spouse or had a, a knockdown drag out with one of our kids. For me personally, as a pastor, I think it becomes even more of a temptation because as a pastor, you want to be appear godly and most importantly, you need to be godly. And so the danger is I can do a lot of spiritual things but in a way that is disconnected from the vine. So like I might study my Bible all day long preparing for a sermon, but primarily with the goal of I need to teach someone else this truth rather than thinking, what is God trying to teach me through this? I might sit down and somebody comes to meet with me for counseling, and if I'm not careful and prayerful, I might just give counsel based on human wisdom. Well, I'll tell you what I think I would do in that situation, or here's what makes sense to me, rather than what biblical principles and scriptures can we turn to that allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in this. You know, I can be in church on Sunday morning and singing songs whose words are so theologically rich, but my heart or my mind is thinking about something completely different. And I think for any of us, we can spend all day long talking about God without ever stopping and really relating to him. Mm-hmm. You know, a few years ago, I was studying in the book of Mark and came to Mark chapter 3 when Jesus calls his disciples. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, it says, he called them so that they would be with him and then go for him. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and I think many times there's a danger for me to bypass that first part. Like I want to go be a doer when really I need to just sit at the feet of Jesus first. And so that's a little bit of what it can look like in my own life. And that's hard to do for a doer. It's just true. Sit and wait. Well, you and I have talked in, in recent episodes about some ways that we can discipline ourselves to make sure that that spiritual activity is actually powered by our spiritual vitality, as you said the, the other day. But I don't think we can say it enough. Can you share some of those methods that you've implemented and you've installed into your life that are regular things that you're doing? Not only, you know, the reading of Scripture and so forth, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking of other disciplines like people that you gather around yourself right. to and give 
you know, you give free reign to, okay, speak into me. Absolutely. And I think that discipline of community is a vital one here because we all have blind spots. You know, we can think we're doing well. We might even point to our activity as a sign of vitality. But if somebody is in our life where they can observe us closely enough over a long enough period of time, they're going to see things that we don't. And so I think one of the keys here is to develop deep relationships. And obviously, as I've just arrived here in the community, those are still in formation. But already I've seen the benefit of our elder board, for instance, that as we talk about topics, we don't always agree on everything, but that we share that same common goal to where we can challenge each other's thinking. And my prayer is that as we develop those relationships, that if there's a time where my heart's grown spiritually cold or where I'm focused more on the external than the internal that I will have close enough relationships and loving enough brothers that they'll be able to address that. You know, another key signpost in my life is prayer. Because as a doer, sometimes prayer can feel like, well, we're not accomplishing anything, right? But if I'm being disciplined to pray, that's an external demonstration that I'm not depending on my own strength. I'm recognizing that need to abide and be connected to the vine. And it's an expression of faith that says, God, if this problem's going to get resolved, if this person's going to be counseled, if this word is going to be preached, it's got to be your power that's powering it and not my own. Um, again, just as I study God's word, always beginning into the question, God, what are you trying to teach me? How do you want me to grow through this? So that I'm not approaching it as if I'm a professional, but as a student of the word who then when I go get up to preach, I'm teaching from the overflow of what God's already convicting me of and teaching me in that process. And I think just fundamentally preaching the gospel to myself every day. You know, there's a danger for any of us to put the gospel in the rearview mirror. Like, well, that was how I got saved, but now I'm busy doing things for God. No, every day I need Jesus just as much as I did the day that I trusted in him. And that humility, as well as that grace that he gives, I think, keeps us in the proper perspective. This is a total paraphrase, but I remember, what, was it three weeks ago? And I think it was you who was saying, we've got to remind ourselves, we, we too often... Uh, think too little of what God has done for us and too much of what we do. Absolutely. Yeah, That's what you're saying there. Great. I, my mind goes back to a Saturday. No, it was a weekday in September in a nearby town. <laughs> and that was the first time that you and I and 13 of our dear friends, uh, 12 or 13, got together. We started talking about mm-hmm. your coming to join us. And one of the things I really appreciated, and it was very appropriate, is that it was not the normal job interview. Mm-hmm. It was, it, it, you were very frank in mm-hmm. saying, guys, if I come here, here's the things I need help with. Mm-hmm. And you laid out, uh, so I understand a little more deeply than others might right now, uh, what are some of the things that Tim Cockrell has to deal with. Yep. Uh, interestingly, a lot of the same things I have, I deal with <laughs> some of the weaknesses and, and strengths. So now that's great. I really appreciate your, your being willing to kind of pull back the veil a little bit so we can, uh, we can get to know Tim a little bit better. And I think we all can get better when we see hey okay i guess i'm not too weird tim cockwell has some of the same problems i have well tim we we do have a question from a member of our congregation it regards verses 21 and 22 and she asks how can we come to god in complete faith 
and he uses the picture jesus uses the picture of the fig tree mm -hmm. we won't read it now if you're listening and you haven't read that go back and read it in anticipation of this question but she asks how can we come to god in complete faith in fact james 5 15 as she mentioned and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick mm -hmm. that's interesting okay how can we do that not doubting that he will answer while still recognizing that god has a sovereign will is god sovereign or isn't he and jesus is saying you can pray in faith how does all that work? How long do we have in this yeah, podcast? Right. <laughs> That's such a good question. And, and I actually talked to somebody on Sunday morning about a similar question because prayer is so vital, but it also is complex. It's hard for us to understand. I think at its foundational level, we have to understand that our faith is not in the idea that we're going to get what we're asking for. Our faith is in a person, and that is God who is loving and all-powerful. And so we don't come to him in prayer as if he was a, a genie in a lamp, that if we, we rub the lamp the right way and do it enough times that we're going to get what we want, or some cosmic vending machine that if we do the right things and ask enough times that eventually it's going to dispense what we're asking for. I often uh, describe prayer this way. God answers prayer in the way that he gives us what we would ask for if we could see what he sees. So he invites us to boldness in prayer, to come to him with our requests, but also humility that says our requests may not fit into the will of God. And so we, we keep asking, we keep seeking, we keep knocking, but we ultimately rest in the fact that if God says no, you know, if God doesn't heal that person, if he doesn't call that prodigal to return home, that he is still good and that he desires for us to still be actively praying and resting in his sovereignty, even if he doesn't answer the way that we choose to. And so it is, it's always going to be a tension, but I think that's the tension that he's highlighting here in our passage, that for us, there has to be a deep dependence, that we can't do it on its own, on our own, but also a complete confidence that God can do immeasurably, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or imagine, and that even if he doesn't, he is still good. So under, what you're saying is really getting to understand, getting to know God better will help us in our prayer. Absolutely. But also help us to accept his answers. Yes, because it's ultimately about trusting his character and his plan, mm -hmm. even when we don't understand why he's allowing certain things. Mm -hmm. Great, great. Well, while we're taking questions in the congregation, another one. Uh, this time it focuses on the parable of the two sons there in verses 28 through 32. And this one uh, says, you know, it's easy for me to be like the second son. Mm -hmm. In other words, saying I'll do what you want, Father, but uh, not following through. You mentioned you might have a child. I may have a child. I may, <laughs> I may be one of those myself. Uh -huh. But anyway, but not do anything about it. This person asked for some help in guarding against what they called this masquerade of obedience. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's a masquerade. I get it. Yep. And not alone. Yeah. You know, we all struggle in those ways. And I'm reminded of what James says in James chapter 1, verse 22, where he warns us, you know, do not just be hearers of the word but be doers of it. And there, you know, you remember he gives this vivid picture of somebody who sees their appearance in the mirror, but then walks away without doing anything. And I have to be honest, that's a struggle for me. I think it's a danger for the members here at Grace to where we equate biblical knowledge as if it were the end goal rather than progressing toward biblical transformation. You know, what God wants is not for us to just study and know 
he wants us to obey. You know, I, I once heard a, a preacher give this illustration. He said, you know, imagine if I talked to my son and I said, son, I want you to clean your room. And I come back an hour later and he's sitting on his bed. And I say, son, what are you doing? His room's still a mess. He says, dad, I am thinking deeply about the command that you gave me to clean my room. And I come back an hour later and he's still sitting on his bed and the room's still a mess. And I say, what are you doing? He says, I have now memorized the command that you gave me <laughs> word for word to clean my room. And then I come back later that evening and there's three friends sitting there and they're having a study about why it's important to clean your room. When it comes down to it, we have to obey the command. And I think if we're not careful, we can get so busy focused on those facts that we don't really follow through in obedience. And so as we come to God's word, I think we need to come not just to know it, but to obey it, to really drive toward application. And I have to be honest, as a preacher, sometimes that's the hardest part of my sermon application, of my sermon preparation, mm-hmm. is to say, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to our church congregation? But it's such a vital move because that's where transformation really takes place. There are there are so many avenues we could go down on that, but I know that one of the things that I really try to do is when I see a need, deal with it immediately mm-hmm. and not again not thinking because I I do tend to be a doer, but um, my problem sometimes is sitting down and and really studying the word. I'll be really mm-hmm. frank, it, yeah. just taking that time because I want to do I want to do. So we there's a both end there. We, Absolutely, neither, neither end of that spectrum is the best way to go. It's a good, well balanced approach. Well, Tim, I appreciate the point you made concerning Jesus's identification of himself as the chief cornerstone there in the latter part of the chapter. You, you said that God's gracious initiative is overshadowed or over overshadowed by his gracious restraint uh, interesting concept here can you put a little more flesh on that idea help us to understand what that means in light of our frailty and, and our lack of obedience to god I, mm-hmm. I i got to thinking about that there's a lot there to unpack there is and and that's what i love about that vivid parable that ends the chapter is god uses that vineyard metaphor and it's one that he uses back in isaiah chapter five as well where God's the one that takes all the initiative. He purchases the field, he plows the field, he plants the vineyard, he digs the wine press, he builds the tower. He does everything that is necessary for that vineyard to be fruitful. And that in and of itself is astonishing grace. You know, we obviously can see the parallels in God doing everything that is necessary for our salvation while we were still sinners and rebels against him. But then when you think about the fact that in spite of all of that initiative, we continue to rebel against him, you know, that we run away from him rather than to him. We defy his authority. The right response to that from God's perspective is judgment and judgment will come. But the fact that in the story he sends messenger after messenger after messenger, I think just makes us marvel at his patience and his grace. And I can see that in my own life, the ways that he has done that. And so when we think about God's patience He does that because he doesn't want any to perish. First Peter tells us that. Mm -hmm. But the danger then is God is so patient with us that we can come to abuse that grace. That we can imagine, well, I got away with it over here. Or I can, can go to church, but I can still live for myself and nobody will be any the wiser. I think we have to recognize that that patience is not without limit. And that one day we will stand before him and give an account. And although the judgment will not be based primarily on our works, but our faith, 
our works are the evidence of whether or not we've we've genuinely followed him with a repentant and humble faith. Very good. Well, Tim, one of the things I want to do here before we close here in the next uh, number of episodes, I want to give you an opportunity and the listeners some opportunities to get to know you just a little bit better. You've shared before you grew up on a dairy farm up in northeast Ohio, Wayne County, I believe. You got it. And can you share a little bit? How did that experience growing up on a dairy farm prepare you for ministry, pastoral ministry as an elder here at Greece? You mean other than amazing sermon illustrations? Uh, other than the amazing sermon <laughs> illustrations, but that's yeah, a large part of there, it. There are a lot of good illustrations that come out of it, for sure. You know, one of the things I appreciated most, both my dad and my grandfather were farmers. They were strong Christians. And a little bit like what we were just talking about, it's easy to say that you trust in God. But when you've put the seed out in the field and it hasn't rained for three weeks, you begin to see what that faith really looks like where the rubber meets the road. And so one of the things I I so appreciated was just observing my family's example of what it means to practically trust in the Lord, because you can only do so much, and then you have to to leave the fruit up to God. And what a valuable ministry lesson that is, you know, that we are not responsible for producing the fruit. We are responsible to be faithful, and that I need to be faithful in planting and watering and plowing but that God is the one who's going to give the increase. And so that means when things go well in ministry and we see lives transformed, people saved, God's the one that's done that work. And when things are hard and there's opposition, we're trusting that God is the one who is is in charge of all that. And there's there's a great freedom and a rest in that, even if sometimes it's pretty hard to remember that. I also really appreciate the value of hard work that it taught me. You know, there were long, hard, exhausting days that really required a lot of discipline to keep pushing on it. And in different ways, ministry can fit that same paradigm where you can work really hard and sometimes feel like, I don't know if anything's changed. I don't know if any fruit has come of this. But because as a pastor, many times my work is in a study where nobody else sees what I'm doing. Having that discipline and hard work is a vital part of being a good steward. And I think one final thing is, you know, working on a dairy farm and working with cows, they're not sheep, but they're close, <laughs> you know? Oh, there are times. Yeah. They, they can be stubborn and frustrating. They, they don't go where they need to go. They'll try to kick you when you're not looking. Been there. <laughs> they need attention and care to be healthy and flourishing. And that's me, and that's you, and that's all of us. And so it, it's just really good to remember as we read even some metaphors that Jesus uses that we all are wayward. We are all stubborn and difficult. And that gives me patience, I think, as I'm dealing with people that frustrate me that reminds me God's been very patient with me as well. Well, I can tell you that growing up with cattle, I've been stepped on, I've been kicked, I've been covered with stuff that nobody wants to be covered in. Absolutely. And so I fully understand where you're coming from. Beef cattle, not dairy cattle, but very similar. Well, Tim, thanks so much for being with us. I look forward to the next time you're here with us. Thanks. Tim Cockrell has been my guest on this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. We've been discussing his recent sermon from Matthew chapter 21, and you can access that message as well as other Grace Baptist Church sermons and podcast episodes on your favorite podcast app or by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking podcast on the media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. 
Plan to join us next week. We'll be continuing our discussion of God's Word in Matthew chapter 22. And until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.